0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Beginner's Mind series. In some of my parenting workshops, I've always asked the question to young parents about um, what would they like their children to be when they grow up. Um, And apart from the usual answers that you would expect from parents, one of the top answers was, I want my kids to be happy when they grow up happiness is something that we all crave for and uh, our guest today i came in contact with his body of work first when i came in uh, when i came to know about this online course on happiness which is one of the most popular moocs uh, massive online o- on open online courses in the world um, and he is none other than professor raj raghunathan first of all let's uh, welcome him with a round of virtual applause Namaste. You're welcome to the show and I really appreciate you staying back late to have this conversation with us. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Professor Raj Raghunathan is the Zale Centennial Professor of Business at the McComb School of Business at UT Austin. He's interested in how people's judgment and decisions impact their happiness and fulfillment. Professor Raj's work has appeared in top journals across the world and has been cited in several mass media outlets such as The Atlantic, The New York Times and The Harvard Business Review. His book, which is an interesting title by the way it, it suits very well to all the corporate people that I meet if you're so smart why aren't you happy his book that that's a bestseller has been translated in more than 13 languages so far and his TED talk which I highly recommend all of you go watch and visit has been viewed by over 17 people mil, million people worldwide live on Star TV his latest online courses on employee happiness launched in late 2019 which has been also rated as one of the top MOOC um, courses uh, of all times alongside his previous course which is a life of happiness and fulfillment i keep getting your newsletters professor raj very well written a wealth of information i think um, your your style your approach is very simple that people can relate to and i look forward to having a wonderful conversation with you today sir once again welcome to the show
1: thank you very much and i really really appreciate being on the show i know it's a little bit late for me but i'm very excited uh
0: That's a, it's uh, a pleasure to have you, you. It's a pleasure to have you. I want to begin with, uh, if I'm not wrong, your subject at the McCombs School of Business or when you taught at B schools across the world, including the ISB Hyderabad, where you you are a visiting professor, has been marketing, right?
1: Yeah, I'm in the marketing department, but uh, both at the McCombs School of Business and at ISB, I teach a course called Creativity and Leadership. Okay. And this course is more to do with happiness than with marketing. Um, mm-hmm. So, oh, I see. even though I'm, okay. I think, yeah, even though I'm in the marketing department, I, I right. my the main course I teach is this course, uh, creativity and leadership, which has to do with happiness.
0: Which is which is wonderful, and I'm sure there's a correlation. Please help us understand. Was there what drew you to study? You, you're a global authority on happiness by now, um, and what drew you to this field? Was it you know, intentional? Did you have it in mind right from when you started? Were there some, was there something that happened along the way? Uh, what drew you to it?
1: Yeah. So I've always been very interested in the topic of happiness. Uh, and what happened in 2007 was actually a kind of a trigger or a catalyst that made me take the next step of actually putting a course together. And what happened was I, I'd taken a bunch of um, MBA students from the Macomb School of Business, mm-hmm. which is where I teach, uh, at mm-hmm. the University of Texas at Austin to India.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in 2007, it had been about 15 years since I'd graduated from my own MBA school. And I met up with a lot of my batchmates from all those years ago. And uh, I noticed a couple of very interesting things. First is very little correlation between academic success and career success. You know, the people who are the topper types are mm-hmm. not necessarily always the ones who are also the bosses and doing very well in their careers, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I found the second thing that I noticed to be even more impactful, which is that, if anything, there was a even lower correlation between career success and what you might call life success, how happy mm-hmm. people are, mm-hmm. how fulfilling they seem, um, their life seems to be, and so on. So I decided that I had to do something about it. So I decided to um, offer a course on happiness. This was about, you know, now I I started in 2009, just over uh, 10 years ago. And I didn't know how long I I would be teaching these classes. uh, But it just went from strength to strength. I mean, there's just such a big hunger for the topic around the world, Mm -hmm. maybe particularly among people in the business world uh, for the topic of happiness that it just took on a life of its own.
0: Mm -hmm. So is it safe to assume that something has gone wrong in the business world, uh, especially in the last few decades, that we've created cultures and work cultures and environments where people are not happy? Um, Would that be right to assume? What, what, What changes do you think? Have happened recently because we've flourished as far as material success is concerned. We have time-saving gadgets. We got screen on our screens on our wrists. We have more information than we ever had before. Um, Still, as you as you rightly observed, um, the subject of happiness is elusive for many, especially youngsters, because we are sold a dream and we buy it. We the dream we are sold is in these flashy advertisements. I often joke about this uh, realtor selling new apartments and there's a happy family, right? There's a happy family picture. There's everybody's looking happy, even the dog looks happy and there's fresh fruit on the table in front of you and there's like buy happiness you know buy your next apartment here and you purchase happiness and yet we know that's not the way to happiness so what do you feel especially when you talk about that you know the business world uh, is there is there a correlation are we doing something wrong
1: Um, that's a great question I think that it's a deep question as well and I don't think that things have necessarily become worse in the recent past in terms of the business ethics and culture and things like that Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there are many reasons why there is a deep hunger for the topic of happiness, uh, especially in the business world, but even otherwise. And one of those top reasons is that I think there is more and more and more people who are recognizing as a matter of a personally experienced truth, as opposed mm-hmm. to some kind of a concept out there, right. that more money, more fame, more status, more power, et cetera, do not necessarily mean more happiness. You know, mm-hmm. back 200 years ago, let's say, you know, only maybe the kings and queens and the big industrialists of the world could really vouch for the statement that more money doesn't necessarily make you happy because the rest mm-hmm. of us were really poor, you know, and right. it was difficult to get even three square meals a day for many sure. of us uh, 200 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, if you told them that more money doesn't bring you more happiness, I think that those people would have said, you know what, I'll discover that for myself. Mm. Thank you. you know, <laughs> But now, you know, so many people. I'd say, mm-hmm. I'd venture to put that at maybe a billion people, um, right. at the very least, five hundred million people around the world have enough access to resources, more more than enough um, money to lead a comfortable life, and so sure. they know that that alone doesn't do it. And I think that's mm-hmm. a very important reason for why there's a deep hunger for the topic. Of mm-hmm. course, on top of it, there's also this phenomenon which you're referring to, which has certainly been researched in the United States that people are uh more materially wealthy you know uh-huh. uh, so if you think about a hundred years ago even right i mean to have warm water reliable warm water flowing through your pipes to mm-hmm. take a shower etc was unheard of you know centrally right? air, mm-hmm. air conditioned houses unheard of Absolutely. now i mean even the kings and queens back in the day didn't used to have it now mm-hmm. lots of people in the u.s have it right. and so It is true that we have more access to material things, but if you look at the happiness levels, they've not gone up. If anything, Mm -hmm. maybe they've come down a little bit. And I do Mm -hmm. think that that's also adding to this interest uh, in the topic of happiness.
0: Mm -hmm. Should um, a happy workplace uh, uh, as a leader, uh, and I'm sure a lot of the people who are tuning in into this conversation, whether it's on LinkedIn or YouTube right now, lead teams as entrepreneurs or uh, managers or business leaders or, you know, in government or other fields. Is this like a you know far-fetched idea to think and dream about a happy workplace as far as employee happiness goes is this attainable and if yes what are the minor shifts that i can make at my workplace so that i have a happy productive workforce
1: yeah i I do think that one should aspire as a leader to um, have a happy workforce Uh, not just because i think it's the right thing to do as a leader at some level we are parents and guardians of the well-being of the people who report to us. And I think mm-hmm. it's the right thing to do, just as you said at the start, that, you know, parents want their children to be happy, right? Mm-hmm. And likewise, leaders should want their employees to be happy. And so it's the right thing to do. But it also makes strategic sense, Samarjit. So mm-hmm. happier employees are more productive. They take right. less sick leave. Mm-hmm. They are more collegial they uh, are more creative, they're more objective, and so they make better decisions, both individually and in teams. And so it's a kind of a proven fact now that organizations that have happier employees tend to do better, they tend to be more profitable. And so it makes strategic sense as well. And so it's a bit of a win-win. You're doing Mm -hmm. the right thing as well as doing the thing that is going to make you more profitable if mm-hmm. uh, you emphasize happiness. Uh, mm-hmm. To the second part of your question, which is, you know, what, what can managers do or what can leaders do? And the simple answer is take my second online course, okay? Because <laughs> uh, All right. well, that, that's what I cover. But mm-hmm. um, if you want me to kind of just give you a two minute elevator pitch on the different yes, things you can do, I, I think mm-hmm. that it'd be very important to understand there are five major determinants of happiness in the place. And the first is that um, first is uh, access to basic needs um, it makes sense that if you do not even have access to basic needs if you' if your employees are not earning enough money to meet right. needs, you're yeah. not going to be happy you know but mm-hmm. most of your listeners are probably um, not not you know not below basic needs and I imagine that their basic needs are taken care of and so really it's the four other kinds of criteria that are very important for for um, people like the people in your target audience, and those sure. would be um, autonomy. So okay. do the employees have enough of a sense of control over their own lives? And are they empowered to make the decisions that they want to make? Um, mm-hmm. Are they micromanaged, which would be the mm-hmm. opposite of having autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. Do, mm-hmm. They, do they have voice in the organization? Mm-hmm. Can they air their opinions and share their um, decisions and, and thoughts? and are those thoughts counted okay so those kinds of autonomy Uh then mastery Mm -hmm. which is the employees feel that they're progressing toward becoming increasingly good at whatever it is that they're doing right Right. so if you don't think that your skills are building up and you're growing and learning in your organization you're going to be as happy as you would be if in fact you're growing and learning right so that's mastery and then belonging do you have Mm -hmm. a sense of connection with the people in the
0: organization particularly your boss Mm-hmm. Yeah. Particularly your Here's boss. A okay. okay.
1: Particularly your boss, because bosses have this unique um, position of affecting uh, many of your outcomes, right? Not just mm-hmm. your salary, but your sense of self-esteem. If the boss doesn't respect you, then you know that really is emotionally disturbing, and so on. So um, mm-hmm. there is a saying uh, in the uh, happiness kind of world, in an organizational uh, context, which is that people don't leave organizations, Mm -hmm. people leave people, people leave people. Okay, so if you don't get along with other people, especially your boss, but also your peers, very important, then Uh you're probably going to quit. And the very last determinant is the culture of the organization. And I described the happy culture as an abundance-oriented culture. In an Mm -hmm. abundance-oriented culture, you support each other, you're like a family and mm-hmm. your win is going to make other people in the organization feel proud and feel happy sure. and not insecure right mm-hmm. and i think this is one of the toughest determinants because most organizations are structured in a kind of a pyramidical fashion so uh-huh. there's less and less people at the top right and only see you grow and yep. so if you aspire to grow in your organization on the corporate ladder then at some level, you're going to have to compete with your peers, you know, because only one of you can go uh, get promoted. Right. 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 So the, there are there are kind of scarcity oriented constraints in organizations because of mm-hmm. that. But uh, to the extent that leaders can promote a sense of abundance, a sense of mm-hmm. family, sense of rejoicing in each other's successes, mm-hmm. uh, that's when the organization is going to do well. And so that's a very tough nut to crack, as you can imagine. Right.
0: Of course, you yeah, have a, got to be competitive at the same time and and collaborative. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, exactly. So, you got to compete with each other, perhaps in a healthy way. Um, and of course, when it comes to competing with other organizations in your industry, you clearly have to, you know, be very competitive. But within the organization, I think the um, it, it is more important to be collaborative than to be mm-hmm. competitive with with each mm-hmm. other. And that's the we, job of a leader to promote
0: that. Absolutely. It, it must come from the top, right? Because uh, for everybody absolutely. else, it could just be good intentions or, you know, posters on the wall. But it, in practice, it only happen if the leadership is following that. So it's uh, autonomy, it's mastery, it's sense of belongingness. Uh, and I forget the um, the last the one. Last was in, the, the culture,
1: the abundance oriented uh, culture. The, right?
0: the Okay, great. No, th- Those are very important things to keep in mind, and I'm sure that people who lead other people are listening to this right now. In fact, I read a piece of research by Daniel Goldman, and he uh, talked about in his book on emotional intelligence the emotional Wi-Fi that leaders have. As you mentioned, leaders specifically have this power to impact the moods of the employees because mm-hmm. somehow everybody's logging in into that emotional Wi-Fi. So if you're in a good mood, perhaps through mirror neurons, you're also putting other people in a good mood. Or if you're in a horrible mood today, it's, it's going to have an impact on your on the people who look up to you because. Is there's that invisible sort of emotional connection that's happening there. So thank you for those five points, and yes, I'll highly recommend um, that for everyone who's watching right now, go and enroll in the in the course on employee happiness. I'm sure there'll be lots of takeaways there. And don't be like me. I enroll and then I don't uh, show up for the classes. No, complete your courses, guys. <laughs> I'm a bad road model there. Um, and I, I listened to, in one of your talks, uh, Professor Raj, you talk about, you make the statement that um, the many of the psychological traits that lead to success. Ironically, get in the way of happiness. Um, could you please elaborate on that? What exactly do you mean that w- many of the psychological traits that are supposedly supposed to lead one to success, ironically get in the way? Help us uh, understand that. A yeah, little get more. in
1: the way of happiness. Uh, So, you know, let me just back up a little bit and talk about this idea that we think that success leads to happiness. Right. Uh And we think that happiness will be something that I will attain a little bit later in my life once I have devoted much of my life to being successful. And so Mm. we postpone happiness and pursue success with the hope that that success will bring us happiness. But if you're not careful, the success can actually lower our happiness levels because some of the very things that lead to success come in the way of happiness so let me just mm-hmm. talk about three um particular kind of um things that come in the way of happiness that lead sure. to success okay. so one of them is chasing superiority okay so uh people who want to be successful often compare themselves to other people and they get motivated by somebody who's doing better than them mm-hmm. and want to um emulate their successes and feel inspired right. by them and, and so on and so forth. But that very desire to be superior uh, comes in the way of happiness. And there's many reasons why it comes in the way of happiness. I and mean, mm-hmm. one of the big reasons which I think most people can intuitively understand is that it makes you a person who's not very pleasant to hang around mm-hmm. with. Right? Other people don't necessarily like people who pursue superiority who are right. constantly tom toming their achievements and putting other people down even if they do it in a classy manner you can right.
0: easily detect you can thing, sense okay? it right and you there's this constant it. pressure around you you know as well on Absolutely. you too right
1: right and also you know there's no way that you can sustain a certain level of superiority you know even if right. you do achieve it today doesn't mean that tomorrow you'll have it and so uh-huh. you constantly are insecure about somebody nipping at your heel wanting yeah. to replace you right sure so that is one and second is that It turns out when you become successful, especially when you become wealthy, you tend to deprioritize your relationships. Money makes Mm. us a little more self centered. There's just a lot of research on this. And I can go into some of it if you're interested, but just take my word for it. There's just a lot of research showing that when you come into money, you tend to become a little more self centered. You tend uh-huh. to deprioritize even your close relationships with your family and friends. And of course, part of this happens because of a physical reason, which is that when you come into money, you move into a big bigger house, right? You might even have your own swimming pool. You might even have a compound wall around and a tennis mm-hmm. court or what have you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that physical distance that you impose between yourself and other people Yep. makes you reprioritize your relationships, okay? And right. it turns out that's a very bad move to make if uh-huh. you want to be happy because we are highly social as a species. And if there's one thing that we have learned from the 20-25 years of research so far, in mm-hmm. know, concentrated research on happiness, it is that the single biggest determinant of your happiness is the sense of belonging that you have, right? Wow. I mean, it was reflected in the statement that I said sometime back about Gallup, right? People leave people. People don't leave organizations. So, if you don't have a good sense of belonging in your personal life too, you're guaranteed not to be happy, okay? Mm -hmm. So, that's another way in which success comes in the way of happiness. And finally, success often makes people overly control-seeking. When you're good at what you do, when you um, make good decisions, uh, you're given more control. You're given control over resources, money, etc. You're also given control over people. You lead a bigger team, right? That is one of the kind of Hallmarks of success is that you get more resources to control money and people, and when you have that control, if you're not careful, it, it can be pretty intoxicating. Uh, it can make you seek even more control, mm-hmm. and it turns out that being overly control-seeking, whereby you want other people to obey you, behave in the manner that you think is appropriate, you think is right, you you have con- you you want control over outcomes, you want to live in a certain kind of a house, you want certain things to happen, um, it is the recipe for misery because life. Mm-hmm by its nature, is not controllable. Who could have predicted COVID, okay? Mm. Who could have predicted the second wave in India? Nobody did, you know, now Mm. Delta variant, who knows, you know, where it's going to take us. So life by nature is very unpredictable. And so if you tether your happiness to things being exactly the way that you want them to be, and you being controlled all the time, you're actually setting yourself up more for misery. And so as you become successful, you got to be a little bit watchful that you don't fall into these three traps, right? And sure. there are other traps too that I won't talk about here in the interest of time. But uh-huh. be careful that you don't start chasing superiority. Be careful right. that you don't prioritize relationships. Be careful that you don't become overly control-seeking because all of those can undermine your happiness.
0: I love that. And especially, and I can relate to all of that. Uh, the first thing that you said about superiority, you know, I always believe that there's going to be somebody better than you out there in some way or form. And if that's your benchmark, it's always going to be shifting and therefore you will never be at peace with uh, who you are. The second thing that you said about as you uh, achieve more financial abundance, you get a bigger house or you perhaps travel business or first class instead of economy. And naturally, by virtue of that, what is happening is the number of people that you're coming in contact with is shrinking. If you have your own pool versus using the uh, pool in the apartment complex, I mean, the number of people that you're going to bump into is going to drop by a huge margin. And as you rightly said, the sense of community and belonging and interaction, with other people, they can be a huge source of joy and happiness for us. And if you're, if we are isolating, success should not lead to isolation. And unfortunately, it does for many people. Um, the, the saying goes, um, "Lonely at the top." So we got as uh, you go, as you rightly said, we must be aware of these traps and work uh, intuitively to make sure that we are not falling into them. Um, Professor Rajan, one of your TEDx talks, I think, um, the one for teenagers that you gave at the um, uh, University of Austin, Texas, you quote a study which says that our happiness peaks at the age of 10 and 11. And I'm reminded of um, the, you know in, in popular literature whether it's uh, Urdu shayari or Hindi poetry or and I'm sure uh, whether it's Shakespeare's uh, seven um, you know lives life of uh, seven lives of men etc etc in popular literature this sentiment is reflected that pretty much uh, you know that uh, a couple of lines in Urdu here ki um, uh, ek savera hua karta tha jab hase ke uta karte the hum aur aaj kai baar bina muskuraye hi shaam ho jati hai. क्यों हस्ती खेलती जिंदगी आम हो जाती है क्यों वक्त के साथ चेहरे की रंगत चली जाती है कि सुकून की बात मत कर ओ गालिब don't talk about peace that my childhood Sunday is never going to return because all of us you know especially the ones who grew up in the Indian subcontinent have very fond memories of those uh, Sundays in our childhood so talk to us about um, you know what could be the possible reason behind this and we like is this destiny is this bound to happen to everyone after 10 or 11 our happiness is going to go downhill and we're going to get miserable or is there something we can do to boost and elevate our happiness levels on a day-to-day basis
1: yeah it's uh thank you for sharing that uh urdu shairi by the way i mean that was that was awesome um it gave me a little bit of goosebumps even as you were (laughs) reciting it i love urdu and i love some of this poetry uh thank you amazing how deep and philosophical some of these people mm-hmm. were uh, mm-hmm. were and are so thank you for sharing that so uh, why is it that we are happiest when we are kind of children and why does the happiness levels go down i think that it goes down at different um in different ages for different reasons i think that the teenage years are among our unhappiest around the world across time and one of the big reasons for that is the hormonal changes that happen, right? right? right. We talked mm-hmm. something back about social comparisons, chasing superiority, it lowers happiness. And mm-hmm. I think that as a teenager, a lot of that comparison comes into the picture, particularly when it comes to. Kind of you know boy girl problems right uh-huh. i mean you, you the hormones kick in and you start yep. to become interested usually yep. in the opposite sex right depending on your sexual orientation uh-huh. and you start kind of at some level compete against your your you know friends and right other people in your gender uh for uh-huh. vying for the attention of the other right yeah and seeking and approval also, uh-huh. Yeah, that that is, I think, inevitable. You know, around the world, and I think that this is one of the reasons why teenagers are among the unhappiest throughout. You know, mm-hmm. history of mankind. Um, and I don't think... <laughs> teenagers. Much-
0: I hope you're listening, and parents, all concerned parents. I hope you're listening too. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely, and you know that's part of the course, and it's um, you know uh, a kind of uh, it's a it's a it's a milestone in our evolution mm-hmm. as uh, as an individual that the teenage years are going to be like that and it's better to recognize it and uh, not necessarily find it to be aversive or anything, but just treat it as uh, a kind of, you know, coming of age uh, kind of a thing that happens. Yeah. And or also a the teenagers,
0: mm-hmm. what's that? Or a phase that'll probably go away as they yeah, say, yeah.
1: A phase that you go through, correct. Um, and you know, the teenagers are also uh, uh, the time when your, um, your, uh, performance in the, in the class uh, starts to really matter a lot because it, mm-hmm. it can really affect what kind of a college you get into, mm-hmm. and that can in turn affect the trajectory for the rest of your life. And so um, for justifiable reasons, there's a lot of pressure on the teenagers, especially yeah. in the 11th and 12th grades. Uh-huh. And so mm-hmm. lots of different reasons why that age is not a very happy age. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, you know, usually happiness goes up, but then there comes a point around midlife you know, you pro you look like you're in your in your early thirties or something like that. So yeah, least, oh you know, thank
0: you. That's a huge compliment. I'm in my early forties, uh, Professor Raj. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I dye good my good. hair you know, every once in a while, but <laughs> good you, good right. you. you're looking good. Thank yeah. You.
1: So I around, you know, maybe in another five, six years, then you'll you'll start to kind of perhaps if you're like the average person, notice that Um, there is a little bit of a dip in happiness levels that Mm -hmm. comes around this age, And some of it is driven by hormonal changes, again, levels of Mm -hmm. testosterone come down, for example, for males. Um, Menopause might strike women, etc. But also part of it is uh, because uh, we kind of like are running on this ambition and a kind of a myth, really, that if we were to achieve all these, all this worldly success, uh, we are going to be happy. And this Mm -hmm. is the time that we discover, at some level that, hey, That Mm -hmm. was BS. Right, right. (laughs) It was climbing the wrong ladder. Mm -hmm. Right. And achieve all these things and richness and the fame and and fortune and you're going to be happy and it turns out that it takes more than that. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We've already talked a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. So that is the reason why there is a dip in happiness levels. And after that, though, it goes up. It goes up Mm -hmm. pretty steadily until you reach maybe 70s, um, 60s, 70s, where your partner might die or you might have a disease you generally mm-hmm. get weaker physically mm-hmm. you lack the sense of autonomy that we talked about mm-hmm. you need help of other people you can't do right. things yourself right um, when your partner dies and friends start dying you know sense of belonging comes down mm-hmm. uh, your sense of being able to kind of do things as well as you were able to do let's say you're a surgeon you know you're you're not as steady anymore with your hands if you're a sports person you, you know Clearly, even well before the 60s, you in most sure. sports, you can't play well and so on and so forth, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. So it, it comes down, but it can actually also really go up at that age. Wow. Uh, and, and, and it can go up if you have led a life in which you've saved enough for retirement uh-huh. and you have a good attitude toward life right. and you feel grateful for all the things that you've had so far. And you start to not take yourself uh, so seriously anymore, even if you mm-hmm. did see those things in your, you mm-hmm. know, once you
0: retire. Well, that's something we of, should start yeah. doing before the 60s also, right? Not, not uh, <laughs> that I was trying to, you know, if, uh, the, the message here is that we should be practicing some of these things way before we hit that plateau uh, as well. and. Uh, Yeah, I love that, that we go through these peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys and um, they're all probably there for a reason, right? And I think for teenagers, we get loads of emails, I mean, suicidal tendencies or being disillusioned, disengaged, bored with life. Part of that is hormonal. Part of that is they haven't found their calling. And as you rightly observe about the midlife uh, crisis also, I think that's a time when most people would want to buy a Harley or a, a motorbike or do something like that to again kick in that extra dose of I want to, you know, another new sense of identity or belonging or a new meaning. Right. Great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. yeah, And. Um, uh, so, as, as you as you rightly pointed out, there's hormonal influences, there's are socio-economic things, there's physical changes, biological changes happening, there's things getting affected with the peer group. I like what you said about, you know, in the early 60s, If it's, and I always, I have re-emphasized this to my audiences that, you know, you're uh, perhaps at the peak of your intellectual power, your connections in the world and so many other things around your early 50s. And don't, um, just make sure, uh, ladies and gentlemen, just make sure you don't burn out, you know, you're not not reaching a state of burnout then, because if you're really able to invest all this rich experience and connections and Money and other sort of things uh, that you have accumulated, you can really make a big difference in the world, a positive impact, and you can enjoy and ride that wave for in, way into your early 60s. poem maine jo viral called "Jine ki asli hai, budhape mein hi asli hai." So which, which people, the seniors really loved it, you know. When I said jine ki asli hai, the 60s actually because you got all these responsibilities, loans to pay, kids who you know have to go to college and get married, etc., etc by the time you're in your early 60s everything is settled down and then you start uh, afresh so it's really important I think um, uh, what I feel is number one your fitness you should be in good uh, physical condition to enjoy that liberty that freedom um, that comes in um, in your early 60s so thank you it's been a wonderful discussion so far before we let you go professor Raj um, what are the three things that you would recommend from your vast experience studying this subject that we should stop doing In order to boost our happiness, I think you've already mentioned a few, but just for the sake of uh, (laughs) putting things together as we we summarize this conversation, what are the three things that you feel people do very often that we should stop that'll boost our happiness? And what are your top three recommendations in terms of things that we should start doing, incorporate small things that can boost our daily happiness?
1: Hmm. Yeah, okay. So I'll try and be somewhat kind of tactical and practical here rather than talk about things in abstract give uh-huh. people actual behaviors that they can stop doing um, that uh, I think they can start practicing immediately. So one of the things that I think would be important for people to stop doing is to spend too much time on social media. Ah. Uh, this is a general recommendation across mm-hmm. people. It might be some people who are actually spending a lot of time on social media and doing it well. Mm-hmm. And But most people though, I think that the more time you spend on social media, there's just a lot of evidence for it. You saw my Talk for teenagers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. certainly for teenagers, but even for other age groups. The mm-hmm. more time you spend on social media, the more. Depression-oriented thoughts you have, the more suicidal right. tendencies, the tendencies you have, and so on. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that has to do with social comparisons again. You know, something that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. is that the more you are on social media, the greater the chance that you're going to compare your own life to the life of other people. And on social media, people generally tend to portray their life as being better than it actually is. Absolutely
0: on polished and uh, filtered.
1: <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. So, so that is one recommendation. And you know, so in terms of actual amount of time, I would say that don't spend more than two hours a day um, maximum. And if you think that two hours seems like a lot and you spend already less than that, just install a um, an app or a program on your smartphone that tracks the amount of time that you spend, right? And you might be doing it separately on the computer as well. So you should uh-huh. do it on all the devices on which you spend time on social media. Sure. And the total amount of time should be less than two hours. And I think that most people are surprised to discover that they spend on average three, four, five hours. So that's mm-hmm. Um, number one, okay? Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: The second thing that I would say is very, very important for uh, a lot of people not to do is uh, not to fritter time away uh, that takes you away from getting a good night's sleep. And so I've noticed this among a lot of people uh, that they get tempted around, uh, you know, this time uh, of the night for me, which is around 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. to maybe kind of watch just one show on Netflix or maybe (laughs) just kind of, you know, browse this one thing on the internet and so on. And before you know it, two hours have passed. Mm cut into your sleep time and you know you get a little bit nervous of now whether you have enough time to sleep <laughs> and that then in turn makes you not fall asleep immediately and right. robs you of quality sleep and so uh-huh. that's the second recommendation that i have is that you know yeah. don't put your time away protect the amount of time that you need in order to feel really fresh the next next day and mm-hmm. for most people that's on average eight hours spent in bed which means that about seven hours of good sleep you know because okay. we toss and turn a little bit wake up in the uh-huh. middle of the night to go to the restroom perhaps and so on okay right so, so don't try and be the that.
0: superhero guys listen listen yeah don't try to be the superhero a lot of this, this is the whole thing about um, you know people boasting about they get by with three hours sleep or four hours sleep and yeah. thank you for bringing that up thank you sir absolutely and you know mm-hmm. i
1: think that people don't recognize this that if they just got a good six seven hours of sleep they'd be so much more productive and not just that, so much more centered and happy. And I don't think that there is much in life that's worth sacrificing sleep for on a, on a consistent routine basis. I mean, once in a while to see a beautiful sunrise or, you know, to catch a flight, etc., it's okay, you know, to mm-hmm. sacrifice something. But if it becomes a routine habit that you're only getting three, four hours of sleep every night, that is really eating into your mental ability and yep. in the long term, your physical health.
0: It's a yeah. huge price. It's a huge price to pay. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and the third thing that I would say uh, don't do is uh, to, um, you know, we already talked a little bit about it, but I think that it's uh, good to emphasize it again, which is to sacrifice your relationships. In particular, I would say friendships. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that um, when you get older, particularly, you know, after the age of 50, when your children leave home, Mm -hmm. um that's another time in which a lot of people in the u.s at least get divorced and Mm -hmm. a big reason for that is that both the partners in a marriage have been so focused on uh getting the kids um you know to grow up in a healthy fashion and saving up for their college and so on and so forth but Uh when they leave there's a sense of emptiness Mm -hmm. they haven't really ventured out and made other friendships and there's a lot of pressure on the marriage because there's just the two of them and they're supposed to kind of you know Um, look after each other's kind of companionship needs and if they haven't really worked on it and have been focused externally on the kids or other things, then they have not really built a bank of common experiences and and so on. And so, don't forget the importance of relationships. Again, you know, we are highly social as a species and so throughout, and as you mentioned some time back, this is not something that you wait till you get to 60 and then you start to kind of make, you can't make friendships all of a sudden. It's not that easy, you know. So, maintain your friendships, and especially in this day and age, when it's easy to feel as if you're maintaining your friendships through WhatsApp and social media, but those are not real friendships, right? I mean, mm. those are acquaintances. Uh-huh. And what I mean by real friendships is where you go and see that person in person, right. uh, face-to-face. So uh-huh. make it a point to have, you know, at least one vacation with your friends
0: every year, mm. okay. right? Good. Uh, at least
1: one, you know, wow. uh, more is better, but you know, at least one. Uh, hopefully, really, this really will uh,
0: give a boost to the travel and tourism industry—the much-needed boost, <laughs> right? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think that with this pandemic, it's been a little bit difficult to pull yeah, that it's off. It's been very tough. I mm. think you know, hopefully, things are getting back to normal, and so mm-hmm. don't do not sacrifice the quality of the relationships. Right, you know, right. super important, especially for men. It turns mm-hmm. out that men are the ones. You know, women still kind of somehow uh, keep in touch and everything, but men. They can get sucked into their jobs and things like that, and then they sacrifice their relationships and loneliness uh-huh. Simerjeet so is one of the biggest growing epidemics around the world. Loneliness. Sure. Yeah. Loneliness is a killer, you know, psychologically and physically it's a killer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that I would say, don't don't fall into that. It's, trap
0: it's even it. happening in India, Professor Raj, a country which supposedly had, you know, we had a very strong culture of people just doing namaste or satsrikal, pass, passing by on the road to each other. People would talk to each other even if they did not know each other. On the train, we would exchange food, etc, etc. We we grew up in that sort of world. And now, I don't know, in a… In a uh, is it urbanisation? Is it our attempt to be, uh, you know, the, the pseudo westernisation, or whatever it happens to be? Something has come in, and people want to, uh, you know, keep to themselves. It's it's, um, and that's a dangerous, dangerous trend as you rightly observed, especially for men, because women still manage to express themselves one way or the other. But mm-hmm. men, we we keep we bottle up a lot inside and then we have to put on this face of, yes, you know, everything is okay and fine. And then uh, no wonder we have huge um, cardiac issues here as well, stress-related mm-hmm. uh, cardiovascular issues as well. Um, that's all. These are all correlated, I believe, one way or the other. Right. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I mean, there is, in fact, quite a bit of uh, evidence showing that if you don't feel like you have good quality relationships and a sense of intimacy and friendships uh-huh. you're going to physically as well and you're going to die earlier okay? mm-hmm. um, so the amazing thing is that you can actually have diseases physically mm-hmm. but if you have strong relationships you're going to survive longer than somebody who doesn't have any issues but mm-hmm. doesn't have friendship okay. okay so great it's thank
0: you so it's social media cut down social media don't ignore your sleep and nurture your friendships those are your three um, uh, top uh, recommendations here yeah okay
1: yeah, absolutely. In terms of the don'ts. And, you know, the don'ts also include the do's, I suppose. So I wasn't very I'm sure. you know, strict about only That's saying, okay. talking about don'ts. Uh,
0: talk yeah. to us about the Gratitude Journal, please. Uh, you, Because uh, I, I I want to, um, I've shared my perspective on that, but I'd love to hear yours, um, is that uh, what impact that's, that practice has had on your personal level of happiness and, you know, in what way or form uh, people who are listening right now can practice it without, because some of these concepts come like too esoteric, too woo-woo, you know, for many people, they say, oh, you know, I can't be doing that. And do I really need to do this in order to boost my happiness? So there's these all mental barriers. Uh, I'd love to hear your point of view on, on the Gratitude Journal.
1: Sure. You know, one thing that I would say upfront, front, is that happiness is like many, many other goals. It's mm-hmm. not something that is going to land in your lap without you actually taking some concerted effort. Right, right. Right. You want to achieve the an Olympic gold medal or you want to be a great interviewer like you are or you want to become a professor at a university like I am. Mm-hmm. You have to put in the hard work. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. just land into your lap. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know why a lot of times people just think that happiness is something that, you know, it's just an attitude. You know, sometimes people say that, you know, I just kind of think that I'm happy and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. Um, That might happen for a minute or two, but Mm -hmm. really sustained happiness comes from habits and practices. And one of the most important habits is to maintain a gratitude journal or in general, be a person who's prone to exhibiting, expressing gratitude. You know, that's super important if you're going to be Mm -hmm. a happy person. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the reason why it's important is because our subconscious brain tends to be negative. And mm-hmm. the reason why it tends to be negative is because back in our evolutionary past, when survival was at stake and it wasn't to be, you know, taken lightly or it wasn't granted by any means, there was mm-hmm. lots of dangers around the world. It was very important to have a negative uh, outlook because right. if you didn't notice somebody was untrustworthy, they might stab you in the back. If you didn't mm-hmm. notice that that, that, that swithering thing on the ground is not a rope mm-hmm. but a snake, you could get mm-hmm. killed. You know, you mm-hmm. had to be entertained negative hypotheses about things. And those are are the people who survived back in our evolutionary past and we are the children of those people who survived. And so we have a hardwired tendency to be negative, except that the rules of the game have changed and we don't any longer need to really fight for survival. You know, most of the people in the audience or everyone really, I mean, in your your audience, isn't fighting for survival on everyday basis. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not fighting for little kind of life and death survival. And so our aim now is or our goal now is the the rules of the game have changed is is thriving and flourishing not surviving okay Mm. and when you want to thrive and flourish it's much better to not have a negativity orientation and so you need to replace the hardwired negativity orientation we have which Uh we've borrowed from or uh, um, uh, adapted from our ancestors we need adopted, I should say, from our ancestors, we need to kind of slowly replace it with not necessarily a positive orientation, but at least a neutral orientation,
0: mm-hmm. okay?
1: And this gratitude journal comes in very handy in in helping us shift in that way. So what sure. happens in a gratitude journal, um, you know, the most common practice here is to maintain what's called a three good things journal, as it's called. Okay. So write about three good things that happen on an everyday basis before you go to sleep. and obviously if you're doing it every day it's not going to be huge good things right it's mm-hmm. going to be small good things like for mm-hmm. example i mean this is not a small thing but you know i got interviewed uh, today on this wonderful show uh, oh. that could that would actually be a you know big uh good thing that happened in my life so right. write about s- small good things you know every day um the uh, fact that you know it was going to Uh, Be bad weather, but it turned out to be good weather, for example. Or Mm -hmm. the stranger that never smiles at me today smiled at me. (laughs) Whatever, you know, small good things every day, write it. And when you do that, you will notice that your subconscious brain is starting to accept that your life is a good life. And that will just change your energy from the inside out. Mm It will just make you a happier person for no reason. Mm -hmm. But it will take time. You have mm-hmm. to be diligent. You, know, you can't just do it over three or four days and say, "Hey, I don't see any effects." Okay, do it over six months, mm-hmm. and I can guarantee you this: that you will see an effect. Okay, wow. so this is why this is super important because it's going to change you energetically from the inside out by changing the nature of your subconscious brain. And so that's why it's it's a practice that I mean, I research and teach and talk happiness, think happiness, twenty four seven. Okay, mm-hmm. but this is one practice that I've been doing for the last seven years. And wow. I don't miss more than 10 days in a year, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there may be some days in which I miss it because I just don't have the time. Maybe I'm, I'm you know, you know, in a, in a flight and I have to run to catch the next flight and etc. But I do it religiously. And that's because I've seen the effects on myself. And it's one of my pillars, you know, one of my foundational practices.
0: I love that. And I hope everybody who's watching right now, you guys will take this seriously too. Uh, a little small effort is going to make a huge impact. Uh, I sometimes do it daily, Professor Raj, but um, more, I've recently started this monthly thing as well. So I'll just take the entire month of June, for example, and then every week I'll sit down. So there's A4 size pages that I'll then fold and put it in a glass jar. And it's been my New Year ritual um, to take out that my jar of happiness towards the end of the year and say, hey, wow, it's actually been a fantastic year. Because as, <laughs> as you... <laughs> <laughs> because we tend to forget we tend to take these things for granted oh wow did our uh, YouTube channel actually cross 1 million subscribers and we had a party and we took photographs and everybody liked it on social media and then two months down the line it's all like oh where are the views uh, you know we're not getting the sort of views we should be getting and now at one point of time we were so desperate to hit that landmark and now it's forgotten we've forgotten all about it and then this is this new one and this grab the constant state of discontent so as you rightly said we got to train our brain to look for what's working well for us. I think our scriptures have taught this. Our um, culture has taught. We, we get out of touch. But now you coming in with scientific evidence. Uh, guys, a little bit effort there. And um, um, take out the time to spend with yourself and reflect on what's working well for you. Because as Professor Raj rightly said, our brain is wired to look for what's missing or to be on the alert mode. We got it from our ancestors. It's been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your time and you staying up late for us. We got four minutes left. Before we let you go, any final uh, parting words of uh, inspiration to, especially to our young viewers in the Indian subcontinent, Professor Raj?
1: Yeah, uh, look, I mean, I've already shared a lot of the stuff that I mm-hmm. think has uh, been researched and and uh, it's going to, it's powerful. It's going to take that sustained effort though. And so just stick with it, be diligent uh, mm-hmm. and don't, uh, you know, think that there's one silver bullet. I think that if you do a bunch of these things together, uh-huh. it's going to make a big difference. And I'll, I'll add one other practice that I think is a very good compliment to maintaining the three good things journal which uh, i don't have a catchy name for but you know the practice is as follows you know when you wake up in the morning before you get out of bed the very first thing you do is to think about all the things that are coming up in the day and choose at least one ideally three things that you're really excited by every day in the morning as soon as you wake up just kind of mentally play this video of everything that's going to come up and mm-hmm. choose one two three things that you're really excited by
0: mm-hmm. okay
1: that's going good like i was for this attention.
0: interview <laughs> this morning <laughs> uh yeah exactly. mm-hmm.
1: right so and, and you know there'll be days in which there's a lot of tension-filled things that are coming up right you're not looking forward to that meeting with the boss or you know that confrontation with that um neighbor or whatever but surely there are some things that you're really looking forward to. if nothing mm-hmm. else you're at least going to look forward to that first cup of tea or first cup of coffee or something like yep. that. You know, just smell it in your mind's eye, mind's nose, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and just just kind of savor it, right? That mm-hmm. you have the liberty, <laughs> mm-hmm. you have the freedom, you have the resources to right. uh, spend a couple of minutes um, just sipping the tea, and you don't need to let any other thought intrude on you at that moment. You know, just mm-hmm. enjoy that moment. And in your mind, simulate that moment already, even before you get out of bed. And of course, there'll be days in which, you know, there's a good, nice, um, juicy thing coming up. Maybe Uh a hike, or maybe you wanted to watch a movie and you're going out with friends or going to have a drink or what have you. So then savor those things. Those are relatively big things, but uh, don't forget to do this. You know, every day when you wake up, uh, as soon as you wake up, before you get out of bed, if you do this, it's gonna give you a pep in the step. And you'll just be more optimistic. You'll, You'll wake up with a smile on your face. And I think that is a very, very good way to start your day.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all these nuggets of wisdom. I personally, I was just taking everything in uh, from a learner's perspective and absorbing it because it's it helps to, you know, sometimes we theoretically know all this stuff and then sometimes it's very important to get an external sort of reinforcement of, yes, you know, uh, we do, I don't need to complicate things. A gratitude journal still works really well. I don't need to complicate it. It's the simple things that make a huge difference. It's been a wonderful uh, conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, you will find it additional resources to enroll in Professor Raj's um, um, online courses, or to visit his website, watch his YouTube videos, all of them in the description down below. And uh, once again, sir, we thank you with a round of virtual applause for being so open, so humble, so approachable, so authentic. I think probably 20, 30 emails between yourself and our office, and you've been very kind to accommodate us us, despite your very tight schedule. Uh, This was uh, Professor Raj Raghunathan, the Zale Centennial Professor of Business at the McComb School of Business at UT Austin. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Sumerjeet, and uh, to all of you watching, bye-bye, take care, and hopefully our paths will cross at some point. Thank you very much, Simarjeet and Geetanjali and the rest of the team for uh, pulling this off and for inviting me.
0: I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Pleasure having a conversation with you. Friends, um, that was Professor Raj Raghunathan from the um, McCombs School of Business and um, a very humble, down-to-earth gentleman and also somebody who I believe is uh, practicing what he's preaching. Um, And I'm sure you all took loads of notes as you were listening to him. I personally uh, was absorbing and allowing that message to sink in into my subconscious. And I think um, this conversation today has uh, reinforced some of my very um, prominent beliefs, which is success does not necessarily lead to happiness. Number two was um, it's the small things in life that you must learn to appreciate in order to boost your happiness. You know, big things will not happen every day. You will not sign that million dollar contract every day. Um, those things are not going to happen every day on an everyday basis. And I think that's what determines the quality of a life. Perhaps you'll agree with me. The quality of our life is not determined by these peaks, by these milestones, by these achievements. They, they come and go every every once in a while. But by and large, it's how you spend your days, your average day. What is the quality of your average day is going to determine what is the quality of your life? Perhaps smelling your coffee in the morning. You know, we got I got this uh, recently. I think it's called Blue Tokai, this company, wonderful coffee. And I get the coffee beans. Uh, not crushed, but I get the whole beans and I crush them myself. So just smelling the coffee in the morning, putting on my favorite perfume, those sort of simple things, simple joys of life, or having a um, you know a good invigorating, exciting conversation about the vision of what we are trying to do with a colleague or a team member. Um, these things they really boost your happiness. Um, and I will just like to focus on a couple of things that Professor Raj said um, from my own perspective and share with you certain things, certain practices that you can use. Social media, he said, is uh, social media can decrease, as per his research, can actively decrease your happiness level. I think the reason we all know yet we don't practice this, people only put their best moments out on social media. So you're looking at the best 5% moments of somebody else's life. And then comparing the 95% of your life with the 5% of somebody else. Don't do it. It is always going to lead to frustration. Think about it. When was the last time you logged off social media and you were feeling really happy about yourself? Chances are slim because you're taking in the stories of other people, (laughs) especially in the morning. Don't start your day by absorbing what's happening in the lives of other people. Think about what you would like to manifest in your own life. Visualize your own day, as Professor Raj said, as I practice also sometimes, you know, very often is is that, uh, how would I like my day to be? Think, worry about your own story, right? You don't have to absorb and take in what everybody else is doing. Uh, Not the best strategy, especially to start your day. Good night's sleep, you know, good old-fashioned advice there. Get a good night's sleep, and yet this is very low on the priority list of so many youngsters especially we take our energy levels for granted did you just notice i said we take i'm including myself in the youngsters club (laughs) we take our energy levels for granted "Ah, it doesn't matter if i sleep just three hours tonight it's okay in the long run it's not okay it's not okay for your cognitive ability it's not okay for your mood and how you feel uh, even for your body, so get a good night's sleep. My dad used to always, when I lived in Chandigarh, I was uh, going to the IHM Chandigarh, the hotel school there in Chandigarh, and, um, and he used to, whenever he used to visit me, he used to point out the fact that, he was very upset about the fact that I'm not having a proper breakfast, and I used to just dress up and rush off to college, always late, and I think it makes sense now. It makes sense now, the simple things Make a huge difference in the quality of your life. I never miss a breakfast now. What dad said, what he wanted me to do back then makes perfect sense right now. Um, so listen to folks around you. They have a wealth of wisdom. They've, they've been through it. They know some of these things. And you don't have to resist it just because it's coming from them. Good night's sleep. Eat, have a healthy breakfast. I believe in that. Friendships. Take out the time to... Um, Without an agenda to spend time with people that um, enjoy your company as much as you do theirs, you know, without an agenda, really important, just just be there for each other, have a drink together or a coffee together or or a walk together, whatever it happens to be. Um, You certainly get a better perspective on life. And um, lastly, I'll just close with this. Towards the end of the conversation, I think Professor Raj said something really important. By the way, if you missed the live broadcast of this particular segment, This video will be available to watch on YouTube later on, as well as if you're on LinkedIn, you can catch the the replay and we'll share the audio on all major audio platforms. And I think what what he said towards the end really uh, made an impact on me that happiness is not something that happens automatically. It's not our default state of mind. In fact, the default state of our mind, as we've inherited from our ancestors, is Focusing on what's not working well because we had to be alert as you know for predators and other dangers so we are not wired per se if we leave our brain to default it will not drift towards happiness it's going to drift towards negativity but with a little bit of an effort we're using simple practices daily practices over a period of time you can rewire your brain to look at what's working well in your life and you're watching this video, and I'm sure there's a lot of things that are working well in your life right now. So you take care, tell us what you thought about this segment in the comment section below. If you have any further questions for Professor Raj, or you want to connect with him on social media, we will share the links with you. And uh, in order to reach out to me and our team, write to us on info at simarjeedsingh.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And that's where we put out a lot of uh, Uh, video material in different genres we're always experimenting so there's poetry in English and Hindi there's ask SJS series there's a job success series there are so many things that we are experimenting with right now thank you all take care bye-bye for now